In the 14th century, Italian poet Dante Alighieri penned his masterpiece, The Divine Comedy. The epic poem tells the story of a lost pilgrim who is guided through hell to meet his beloved in heaven. This fantastic journey is also a coded allegory. Hidden in the symbolism is a much deeper story with a map of history that connects Dante's life with our own. This is Dante's history. Inferno, Canto 3 Before me, there were no created things. Only eternal, and I eternal last. All hope abandon, ye who enter in. To recap the story so far, a lost pilgrim named Dante is saved from the sinful beasts of a dark valley by a shade of human reason, the Roman poet Virgil, who is sent to him by a merciful lady in heaven, Beatrice. She was a real woman who the exiled poet loved and idolized. Inspired by Beatrice, the pilgrim is now ready to enter the inferno. In this part of the poem, our pilgrim and his guide reach the portal to the underworld and encounter the first damned souls, the cowardly caitiff choir. Virgil explains the connection between a lack of good intellect and the miserable mode. Then they have a chat with a demon ferryman named Charon, the old man with fiery eyes who carts the damned souls across the Acheron, the river of woe. Virgil convinces Charon to bring the pilgrim across and explains why the souls are so eager to get across. The canto ends with a sudden earthquake and a blast of wind that causes the pilgrim to faint. We open with an ominous quote. Through me the way is to the city dolent. Through me the way is to eternal dole. Through me the way among the people lost. It's written just above a gate. The full message, a total of nine lines, ends with, Abandon hope, all ye who enter. And now familiar warning, usually found near places you shouldn't go. This is the entrance to hell. The pilgrim is troubled by the message. The term dole, or dolore in the original Italian, means, essentially, very miserable. As Virgil explains, the people beyond this gate have foregone the good of intellect, and it has left them in a state of misery. The gate to hell is unguarded, unlike the portal to the more exclusive purgatory, as we'll see in the next canticle. The implication here is that hell is easy to enter. The name Justice is mentioned in the message, referring to the Roman goddess and blindfolded holder of the balancing scales. It says, The powerful creator of this eternal realm was inspired by Justice and created it in an act of love. In this sense, the suggestion to abandon hope is more of a promise that luck will not help you here. The justice archetype can be traced back to ancient Egypt, 2300 BC, in the pyramid texts of the Unas. Ma'at was considered the force of balance and harmony and the personified goddess of law and justice. Ma'at was also responsible for the weighing of souls in the underworld. The hearts of the departed were balanced with the feather of Ma'at. If the heart was heavier than the feather, it was devoured by the soul eater and its owner forced to remain in the underworld. Justice will be mentioned a total of 35 times in the poem. Historically, many places on Earth have been considered the gate to the underworld. In Turkmenistan, there is a popular tourist attraction known as the Door to Hell, 
a collapsed natural gas field that was set ablaze in the 70s to prevent the spread of methane gas. The football field-sized crater has been burning continuously ever since. The Fengdu Ghost City in China is another popular tourist attraction that depicts life in hell. The city, said to be nearly 2,000 years old, consists of temples, shrines, and statues depicting Confucian, Taoist, and Buddhist themes of the afterlife. Tourists get to follow the path of the dead across the bridge of helplessness to be judged by the king of hell. Then they must balance on one foot on the testing stone. Those who fall are considered bad and damned to be punished in various gruesome ways, many of which will be found here in Dante's vision of hell. In Chinese mythology, Di Yu is one of many names for the underworld. Traditional beliefs list as many as 84,000 different hells. In some traditions, the number is narrowed down to 10 courts of hell. Around the 7th or 8th century, the Tang Dynasty introduced the idea of a hell with 18 levels, in which the sinner is dismembered, boiled, frozen, burned, and more, only to be reborn and sent through again. Reincarnation was also part of this process. In this sense, Diyu is more of a purgatory, preparing the soul for the next life. These realms were said to exist for wrongdoers who avoided punishment while alive, an indication that justice would be served. Ancient Greek writers refer to a type of sanctuary known as Plutonium, or Place of Pluto, a location dedicated to celebrating the Roman god of the underworld. Pluto's gate of the ancient city of Hierapolis in modern Turkey was one such site. One Greek writer claimed sparrows passing overhead would suddenly fall to their death. He describes the location as misty, full of vapor so thick you could barely see the ground. This mist was actually carbon dioxide escaping from the sacred caves beneath. Some tales, like the Odyssey, Aeneid, and Twelfth Labor of Hercules, place the entrance near a volcanic crater lake in Naples, Italy, Lake Avernus. The name comes from the Greek aornos, which means no birds, which, as you may have guessed, was also used to describe areas that emit poison gases. The volcano Mount Etna in Sicily was also considered an entrance to the underworld. Dante may give us a few hints later in the poem that our pilgrim is actually near Jerusalem, a place referred to in the Bible as Gihinom, or the Valley of the Son of Hinom, the place where the kings of Judah sacrifice their children and where the wicked go to be judged and sentenced to their second death. Virgil takes the pilgrim by the hand and escorts him into the blackness. The first sounds we hear are pitiful cries of agony and anger that move the pilgrim to tears. These high and hoarse complaints in diverse languages and horrible dialects come from the spiritually neutral. These are people who took no sides, fence-sitters that knew no infamy or praise. As a result, neither heaven nor hell will accept them. They co-mingle with the caitiff choir, angels who are neither loyal nor rebellious. Virgil will scarcely speak of them, nor look at them as they pass. A long train of naked, miserable people trek through worm-filled mud, continuously stung by gadflies and hornets. They are cursed to forever follow a waving banner for remaining neutral in life. 
These neutral angels are Dante's creation. He rates them lower than the rebellious angels of the Bible, claiming these bunch are hated by both God and the devil. Dante also created what is essentially a vestibule of hell. These refused souls aren't allowed to cross the river into actual hell. As a result, they are envious of even the damned souls. The pilgrim sees in this group the shade of someone who made the Great Refusal. Commentators believe this is a reference to a man by the name of Pietro del Morone, also known as Pope Celestine V. He was a monk and popular hermit who in 1294 was elected pope, only to resign after five months. He just wanted to return to his cave. But his replacement, Pope Boniface VIII, forced Celestine to remain in the Vatican until his death. Boniface is said to have drafted the resignation letter himself. One commentator jokes that contemporary accounts suggest Boniface practically pretended to be the voice of God to convince Celestine to resign. Celestine V would be the only pope in history to voluntarily resign until 2013 when Pope Benedict XVI stepped down for health reasons. Before he retired, Benedict made a pilgrimage to the tomb of Celestine in 2009 after an earthquake nearly demolished the basilica containing the saint's coffin. Though part of the ceiling had collapsed, the glass coffin remained miraculously unscathed. Incidentally, both popes were 85 years old when they retired, and Celestine was also the founder of the Benedictine Order of Monks. The poet will mention Celestine and Boniface later in the poem when we meet the Popes of Hell. The pilgrim and his guide reach a riverbank crowded with souls eager to get across. This is the dismal shore of the river Acheron. Acheron is the name of several rivers in the world, the most notable of which is in northwest Greece. In Greek mythology, it was known as the River of Woe, one of several rivers of Hades. In the Aeneid, the newly dead would be ferried across to enter the underworld. Dante also uses the river as a border to hell proper to keep the neutral souls out. Psychologist Sigmund Freud references Acheron in his seminal work, The Interpretation of Dreams. He uses a phrase from the Aeneid in which Virgil, through Juno, queen of the gods, equates the Acheron with the forces of hell. Freud is using it as a motto, comparing the river to the subconscious mind and promising to uncover its secrets, namely, how it influences our waking lives. Just like in the Aeneid, the river is guarded by a ferryman named Charon. Dante describes him as a gray-haired old man with fiery eyes. The name Charon roughly translates to penetrating stare, and he's often depicted in Greek mythology as an old man with intense eyes in a boat carrying an oar. Though in modern times, he's occasionally depicted as the Grim Reaper, a hooded skeleton with a scythe. A similar figure can be traced back to the ancient Mesopotamians. Urshanabi was also a ferryman of the Huber, the river of the netherworld. The pilgrim and his guide catch Charon addressing the crowd of souls wishing to cross. Woe unto you, ye souls depraved! Hope nevermore to look upon the heavens. I come to lead you to the other shore, to the eternal shades in heat and frost. In ancient Greek and Roman culture, 
it was common practice to leave a coin with the deceased, usually in their mouth. The offering, known as Charon's Obel, was payment for the ferryman. Some theorize the coin was placed in the mouth because it was considered food for the journey, or a seal to prevent the soul from returning, as the vengeful undead. Another belief was that those without a proper burial must wait a hundred years on the shore before they can cross over. This kind of offering was known as grave goods. In many cases, these valuables served as a bribe to the supernatural forces. Similar practices date back to ancient Egypt. Joss paper, also known as ghost money or hell money, is a Chinese currency of the dead. It's usually cut into squares or burned, with specific denominations for honoring the deceased, higher gods, and ancestors. Dante makes no mention of a fair, but Charon does initially object to the pilgrim's presence. Sensing that Dante is still alive, the demon assumes the pilgrim must be lost, possibly looking for the path to purgatory. Virgil quickly steps in to explain, hinting to Charon that a higher power is making this pilgrimage possible. Charon seems satisfied with this and begins gathering up the next batch of souls, beating the stragglers with his oar. Dante is carefully mimicking the wordplay of the Aeneid, likening the dead souls to autumn leaves continuing their journey from branch to the ground. As Virgil explains, justice has turned fear to desire, drawing the damned souls to the shore so they may continue into their next stage. This is what makes the neutral angel situation more miserable. They are stuck between life and death, heaven and hell, since they cannot continue into the next stage. It's as if they never existed. The canto ends with a cliffhanger. As Virgil and the pilgrim are crossing the river, a sudden earthquake and flash of light frighten the pilgrim so much, he faints. In the next episode, our pilgrim reaches the first circle of hell, Limbo, and meets the great poets and philosophers. As our poet begins to explore and expand on the classical concepts of morality and justice, we'll learn a little about the good deeds of some of the names he drops, and why they and Virgil are still damned for all eternity. Next time on Dante's History.